Um, Doc, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. Had a great day. How about yourself? Wonderful. Um, the the decaf, the decaf coffee has given me way more energy than I anticipated. So, uh, so that I don't know what that means for you or for. Uh, the people that are with us live, uh, but I'm I'm excited about it. Um, Good decaf. Okay, <laughs> you ready? Rock in, rock into the show. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's start off with a hair thinning questions. Uh, since male hair thinning could also be related to stress or post COVID effects, is there a lab test to get an idea of stress? And what can help with hair thinning brought on by these two things as opposed to DHT levels being the root cause? Well, yeah, that's a great question. You know, of course, we check cortisol levels. Uh, that's the stress hormone that we look at a lot. And we prefer to do it in salivary tests. You test it four different times during the day and it sees what your, what your cortisol is doing. It should be higher in the morning and lower at night. But some people's are, are kind of backwards. And some people have too high a level. Some people have too low a level. And you can kind of modulate that by using adrenal adaptogens, uh, which are usually herbs. You know, rarely do I have to use hydrocortisone, Cortef, but occasionally I do. But, I mean, you do think about DHT if you're thinning hair as a male or female. So sometimes I will check that. You know, stress can cause hair loss, but usually with stress, it's reversible. Um, you all also have to look at your vitamin levels, and um, there's a lot of stuff we can do for thinning hair. A lot of it depends on if it's if it's a male with male pattern baldness or just a receding hairline. Um, you know, we use PRP. We use a lot of vitamins. Uh, we use shampoos. But that's right. I mean, stress can cause anything. COVID can cause hair loss without a doubt. And sometimes it can take months or a year or more to start growing that back. Um, so we try to balance your sleep patterns and use your aura ring, which I love. Um, check a Cleveland panel, do your cortisol curve. Um, you know, we should be able to at least slow down thinning hair with male or female. Um, some of it's genetic, um, but you, know, you can't blame everything on genes. You can do something about it. It's usually environmental. I like infrared sauna for that. I like red lights for that. Um, so those are some of the things you can do, but um, you're right. Stress can definitely cause hair loss and all kinds of problems. All right. Great answer there. Thank you for that question that came in through email. Um, all right. This is in, okay. I would like to know if Ozempic slows down medicine. And what they mean by that is I take lisinopril and Eliquis and would like to know if Ozempic slows their effect. Also, does Ozempic lower blood pressure and a little um, side note, mine has been lower than usual today. Same question from the same listener. Uh, what's your answer on this? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it can slow down um, absorption of medications. Um, you know, the new one on the block that's kind of a competitor, they've warned that, uh, you know, you shouldn't take birth control pills. Well, if you take birth control pills, 
that it may not be as effective. Now, that doesn't seem to be a class effect, really. Um, but uh, so it, it definitely by slowing gastric emptying, um, you slow down the absorption of some medications uh, from the, the duodenum, the small intestine, which most of your absorption comes from. It's not in the stomach. It's in your small intestines to the bloodstream. Um, the stomach just kind of breaks it up. Um, so, yeah, it could, especially, you know, if you're on a, a blood thinner, you have to watch out for it. If you're on other oral diabetic medicines or blood pressure medicines, uh, you should, you know, just take note of that. You know, the whole point um, is to improve your insulin sensitivity, delay gastric emptying so you won't feel full and lose weight with it. You know, of course, Ozempic's a diabetic medicine, but we use it more for weight loss than we do for diabetes. Um, it's approved for that in a different form called Wegovy, um, which is the same medicine as Ozempic. It just allows you to use a higher dose. The problem with Wegovy is you can't find it. They didn't make enough of it. So, um, but yeah, if you're on Lysinopril and Eliquis, you, you want to look at your, um, your blood pressure. And if you start bruising or, um, bleeding too much. You, you can't really check a pro time if you're on Eliquis like you can Coumadin. So, you, you know, you can't have a direct measurement of how, how thin your blood is with, with Eliquis, at least not, not a normal lab like a pro time. Um, Ozempic may indirectly uh, lower blood pressure a little bit too. I have seen that. But um, so it has a lot of positive cardiovascular effects. Um, you know, a lot of the cardiologists are using it um, to protect um, from heart failure. Uh, so indirectly, it may just keep an eye on it. You may need to adjust your the amount of lisinopril that you take, um, especially if you're getting orthostatic hypotension with it. In other words, when you stand up, if you feel like fainting. So it can affect absorption of medications. Any mm -hmm. any any drug in this class can. Um, so it's a great question and something not a lot of people think about. So are you generally um, telling people to, to, to not take other medications while on Ozempic or? No, is no, it just no, something no, no. Don't, don't stop any of your medications unless directed specifically by your doctor. But, um, you know, say if somebody's on insulin or metformin, other diabetic medications, I will lower those to prevent hypoglycemia. Mm. But you'll find as you lose weight, uh, you won't need the amount of medicines that you needed before for metabolic syndrome. See that all the time. Um, I think it even may improve your lipid parameters um, indirectly though. So um, be cautious, but actually it's a good thing that um, in, mo in most cases, um, that it is uh, affecting that. All right. Thank you for that. This is um, a Cleveland Heart Panel question. Um, my Cleveland Heart Panel was optimal on literally everything. Cardiologist diagnosed as atrial fibrillation, low end of the scale. Doctor prescribed Eliquis, but also said could use Coumadin. And a little back history here. I am 65 female active and on no other medication beyond Dr. Rogers supplement. 
Can Dr. Rogers talk about Eliquis versus Coumadin and anything else I need to consider starting this journey? Yeah, that's a great uh, case right here. Um, of course, you're not going to be able to predict atrial fibrillation on a, any blood test. Um, why some people get it, we're seeing a lot more of AFib, which is just an irregularly irregular heartbeat. And the problem with that rhythm is um, the top part of your heart uh, doesn't pump. It's not active as a pump. It's kind of quivering. You know, you, you don't really need that to live or anything, but it certainly makes it uh, your ejection output less. Plus, the fact that it's not pumping the blood out can predispose you to have blood clots. So that's the main danger in atrial fibrillation is blood clots, and that's why you need to be on a blood thinner. Now, Eliquis is a kind of a newer age, safer medication than Coumadin. I would certainly choose that over Coumadin. Um, Coumadin's warfarin, it's actually rat poison. It thins your blood pretty well, but you have to get con continual blood tests to make sure it's right. It's just more affected by things like food, uh, you know, in there. And it's just a tough one to regulate. Um, Coumadin's a, a tough drug that's almost phasing out in most cases, except maybe when you get um, an artificial valve in your heart and it's a, a mechanical valve that requires Coumadin at this point. So Eliquis, there's a lot of people on it. Um, I would definitely prefer that over Coumadin without question. And the other thing, ask the cardiologist if, um, you know, it's possible to do a, an ablation on you. In other words, they can go in and kind of fix that um, uh, atrial fibrillation in a lot of cases uh, through a cardiologist who specializes in uh, electrophysiologic uh, mapping. Um, so that's kind of a, a cool thing that they can do now. Uh, some people flip in and out of AFib, and for those people, they need to be on a, a blood thinner. Um, sometimes if it's rare, then they'll just put them on an aspirin. But um, if you're an active AFib, I would suggest Eliquis. I would ask my cardiologist to refer me to uh, an EP specialist, cardiologist, to see if I'm a candidate for an ablation that will burn these abnormal short circuits out so that um, it'll allow your atrium to uh, beat on a normal set the pace for your ventricles which put most of the blood out so great question i see that more and more frequently in our age group um, especially i'm seeing it more in in the previous long distance uh, athletes I see that quite often I think they're predisposed more to atrial fibrillation for whatever reason, but um, pretty common, pretty common, but take it seriously. That is a great question. I know that helped uh, more than one person, so thank you for, for asking that. Doc, great answer there. Um, let's go to, this is a, a general blood work question. Um, I take lots of vitamins. My question is, when having blood work, such as a complete metabolic panel, should one skip that morning before the blood work? Um, you know, if you're taking it with food, you probably going to skip it anyway because you're not going to you to come in fasting. Now, sometimes I'll, I'll almost prefer a non-fasting lab in some people to see how high your insulin level will go. But um, 
in general, yeah, I would skip it on that morning. You come in for your, you know, your blood work, like a Cleveland panel. Um, the other important thing is there's one vitamin that can affect it uh, more than any. It's called biotin. Like we talked about hair loss. That's one of the major vitamins we use for hair loss. So if you're taking a high dose of biotin, you need to definitely skip that one for about a week before you come in. Um, like if you're on just one milligram of it, I don't think it makes a lot of difference at all. But if you're on, if you're trying to take a higher dose, like a five milligram for, for hair growth, then, you know, stop that for at least a week before you come in because it can affect some of the levels. So, um, that's a great question. Good question. So yeah, I probably wouldn't take them that morning. Um, and biotin, I would leave off for about a week. So you need to, to look at how much biotin you're getting. Great question, question there. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that answer, Doc. Um, let's see. Uh, this is another vitamin question. Um, can vitamins alter blood results such as ALT or AST? Is taking all these vitamins hard on my liver? Shouldn't be. No. I mean, um, what's hard on your liver is alcohol and obesity. Um, you know, not that some medicines can't affect your liver, like statins are the main major one we kind of look at that. Um, so, no, I don't think you have to worry about uh, vitamins altering those transaminases, liver function test, um, really. You know, the other thing that can elevate those are, you know, hepatitis, uh, past or present. But, um, you know, we, we look at those things pretty closely, your, your liver, and you might even want to, uh, think about uh, detoxing your liver through milk thistle. That's that's one that I use a lot. If if you have the other um, variables in uh, in control, like lowering your alcohol consumption or losing weight, um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the second most common cause of cirrhosis, and it can kill you just like alcoholic uh, cirrhosis of the liver can. So. You got to take care of your liver for sure. And the fact that if those are bumping up just a little bit, there's probably a reason other than vitamins you're taking. Um, look at this. Hopefully you're not taking a statin unless you really need it. But, um, All right. Thank you for that question. Uh, for the people that are with us live, this is the Performance Medicine Show. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, we're going to be taking live questions here in just a minute. Um, let's get to – this is a – Female hair loss question, um, extreme female hair loss. And the question is, what could be the possible causes of a 60-year-old female with normal thyroid tests and has PCOS, however, has had a hysterectomy? A few more bits of information here. Has been on bioidentical hormone replacement for years, takes biotin, takes vivisfol, and uses Monat to continue uh, to lose her hair. Um, so symptoms mimic male pattern hair loss, open to solutions. And doc, if you need me to go back and, uh, show you more, I can't. No, uh, no, you know, you know, if you've had a complete hysterectomy, no ovaries, um, then, you know, PCOS is usually not a problem with PCOS, which usually starts in teenage years. You're going to have a, a high testosterone level, high insulin level, uh, it affects about everything. And, and it's, it's not a good situation to have when you're younger, uh, but it's very common. Um, and it's a really a, a metabolic disease of insulin resistance. 
really affects your hormones as well. You know, if you have a lot of hair loss, of course, you want to look at your uh, levels of your bioidentical hormone replacement, specifically looking at your testosterone level and your dihydrotestosterone level, because there's a lot of things we can do. I'm sure you, if you had PCOS, you probably tried spironolactone, which blocks it down. But I always, I always so use sometimes finasteride in women for hair loss. Sometimes I use minoxidil orally, which is uh, like oral Rogaine. Um, but, and you know, you have to look at your iron levels. I saw a lady today with hair loss and her iron level, her ferritin level was five. She was also on thyroid medication. So you have to look at that interplay between insulin, cortisol, and thyroid. Um, and it, it's sometimes, you know, there's genetic tendencies as well. Um, you know, if nothing else seems to be working, uh, like the spironolactone, which would probably be very helpful for you, um, finasteride, minoxidil. Um, you know, there's another thing you could, could consider, and that is uh, uh, taking uh, PRP injections to the scalp. We found that to be pretty effective, especially if you start it early as the hair is thinning and it's not completely gone. Um, so those are some of the things that we look at. Um, there can be a lot of reasons, um, but, you know, hopefully we've got a good functional medicine doctor or dermatologist that does a lot of functional things that can maybe help you with that. Um, usually in women, it's, it's easier to get hair to grow back in women than men. In general, hair loves estrogen, but it's not real fond of testosterone. So look at those levels and you may want to do some adjusting. Also, I find that too much DHEA in women causes hair loss. So if you're getting DHEA in your supplement, your cream or whatever, oral supplement, then you probably want to stop that. But check levels and, you know, do everything you can to, to start regrowing the hair. All right. Great question there. Uh, this is a, another hair question. Uh, do you or your aesthetics team, Kelly and Jasmine, recommend a particular hair vitamin such as Nutrafol, Viviscal, etc.? And it goes on to say, wondering if you think those pricey ones are really any better than the Life Extension Hair Skin Nail Formula. You know, I think they all work. They all work. So um, I like the Ontogeny C shampoo. That seems like that is uh, really, really good. You, you may have to ask. Kelly or, or Jasmine, how, what they think about if they've seen some of the differences in those formulas. Uh, it is true that sometimes, you know, price uh, may not be, uh, you know, the more expensive may not do any more than the less expensive ones, you know. So I would, if nothing else, if they can't give you a lot of feedback on that, just try, you know, the least expensive one, see what happens. If you don't get results in try a month or two of the more expensive ones and see if there's a difference. But look in at all that other stuff we just talked about on on hair loss. And, you know, you may consider a good uh, collagen. I love the keto collagen formulation for hair and nails specifically, but it um, seems to work really well. You start taking that, you, you notice you're, you have to cut your fingernails and your hair a lot more frequently. Um, and your skin will get better too. So... But I'll ask Kelly if she's seen a difference in that. 
We'll get more information from uh, Kelly and Jasmine on the on the hair vitamin question. Uh, let's go to a TMAO question. If TMAO is elevated in the moderate range, how many eggs and red meat can you eat per week? Uh, in general, what's your what's your rule of thumb here? If you have an elevated, I don't really I don't really have a rule of thumb uh, on that one. Nobody really knows. Um, what you could do is. Um, just cut them out and see what your TMAO goes to and um, then add back, you know, if you like eggs and red meat, add them back in moderation like a couple times a week is my guess. But that's just a pure guess um, that I think that would be probably pretty, um, pretty good guess maybe, but uh, just follow the levels and see where you, where you're at um, and make sure your gut because the TMAO is, is really a, a measure of your gut microbiome. Then you might want to make sure that you um, make sure your gut's working well with, with uh, some probiotics and prebiotics, maybe something like digest shield, which is amazing, but uh, great question. And, you know, I wouldn't freak out if my TMAO is moderately elevated as mine was, but I did cut out for the most part, red meat. I never eat eggs anymore. And my level on my last Cleveland, which was a few weeks ago, came back normal. It was fairly high. Um, it's interesting because I had a, a food sensitivity test, <clears throat> test done years ago. And my, one of my major food sensitivities was to, was to eggs. So maybe that was part of it. Um, all right. Thank you for that question. Um, this is a great one. I'm curious about dry mouth and bad breath. What reason would someone have bad breath? Bad, bad breath, if their teeth are well cared for, see dentists regularly, uh, could there be another reason? And then another question, uh, kind of an add-on, is how do you treat it? Um, I know this is a, a common question, uh, you know, at a practice like yours. You know, what are some of the causes you're seeing if it's not necessarily you know, well, usually bad breath is a result of dry mouth. Mm. And there's some supplements you can get. Um, I'm trying to remember the one that they have at some of the compounding pharmacies, but it kind of stimulates uh, more moisture in your mouth. Um, uh, I mean, you, you, you might even need to be worked up for an autoimmune disease like Sjogren's. I see that a lot with dry mouth. Um, and it doesn't seem to be a matter of drinking more water to cure it. Another, of course, you think about your teeth, and um, that may be a great question for uh, to ask the, both the Dr. Batemans, both of them, father and son. They do a lot of that uh, and see what their solutions are for this. They see, see more than I do with this. But so making sure your teeth are in good repair drinking a lot of fluids and you may even watch out for taking omega-3s. If you take a rancid omega-3 vitamin, it'll give you bad breath. You know, you think you're taking a good thing. And if it's rancid, if you cut into it and it smells rotten, then that can really contribute as well. Uh, so look at, look at your vitamins and make sure they're, they're up to date and fresh. Um, and uh, treatments, it's tough. I don't, mouthwash is not really a good thing to, to use it really kills all the good bacteria in your mouth and that's where your gut microbiome starts so i'm not i don't like mouthwash 
Um, I think it's more harmful than good. Um, so drink a lot of water, uh, get a workup to make sure nothing else is going on. It could be a medication. It could even be a vitamin like omega-3s, but it's a tough problem. And ask your dentist too about it and see if they have any other uh, miracles. I wish I could remember the name of that supplement that um, some of the dentists use. Uh, I like L-lysine too for mouth health, uh, especially if you tend to get canker sores and it's just a good immunity booster. Uh, but it might be a signal that something's wrong and it could be coming more from your gut than it is your actual mouth. Like I say, the, uh, the mouth is the first part of your uh, gut microbiome. And if you're using a lot of mouthwash, you're probably making it worse. I mean, you may have a little chronic sinus strains. You may have GERD. There could be a lot of factors there that you could um, work on and look into. Great question. Uh, really. Thank you for that question there. Um, let's go to an uh, immune system, system question. Um, I have heard taking silver is good for the immune system. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, I mean, I like silver. Uh, Coilodal silver, they call it. I certainly take it if I get sick. You know, certainly when I had COVID, that, that was a major treatment. You know, just squirt it in the back of your mouth. You can squirt it up your nose. It turns out silver is a good antibacterial. It's a good um, anti-yeast uh, medication. It's good for parasites. It hits the bad bugs, and it's very safe. If you use too much of it, you can get a blue tint to your skin, but you're not going to do that most likely. Um, the last question, you may even try some silver if you have bad breath and see if it kills off some of the bad bacteria. It doesn't seem to harm the good stuff. So I do like silver. You know, it, it's safe unless you really, really overdosed on it. It would be hard to do. Um, but it's really good for stimulating your immune system and killing off the, the bad bacteria while leaving the good stuff alone. Um, it's all about that gut balance, that gut microbiome. So if you're having problems or your immune system's down, certainly that's a safe thing to consider. Um, uh, great question. You might even, on the other person, you might even consider using some methylene blue for your mouth. It'll turn your tongue blue, but it may help you. Um, thank you for that question on silver. Um, so this this came in. Um, if I if if an elevated PSA reading on my prostate, can I take testosterone HCG? And uh, it said preg. Would that be pregnenolone? Probably pregnenolone, which is a precursor to all the hormones. Um, yeah, you know. Um, you, one thing, the PSA is not the greatest test in the world, but it's the only, well, that and the digital rectal exam uh, are the only uh, ways we have to kind of detect, well, as a crude reading for prostate cancer. Um, and now if we, if you have symptoms or we feel a nodule, then, or have an elevated PSA, I will order an MRI of the prostate. So certainly um, just make sure you get it worked up. Again, testosterone, HCG and pregnenolone do not cause prostate cancer or prostate enlargement. But, you know, a lot of men have enlarged prostates, which is the most common reason for an elevated PSA. But you always have to, you know, think in the back of your mind, uh, prostate cancer, which kills about 32,000 men a year in the United States. So it's, a def it's definitely in there. And 
if, if us men all live to 90, 95, 90% of us are going to have prostate cancer, but we won't die um, of it. We'll die with it. So the PSA is a, you know, it's, it's a really kind of, you can get a little nervous when it's a little bit high, but you shouldn't be nervous because it's usually not prostate cancer causing it. Now I look at the, the velocity of the PSA. Um, like if one, if one year it's one, the next year it's four, I'll really perk my ears up. Um, so then it, it's, not, so it's not the absolute value. It's how fast it's rising. Now, sometimes, um, like today I saw a guy with prostatitis and, um, you know, they treated him for it, but never even checked his prostate. So you have to do that prostate check. Uh, to, to assess the size of the prostate and if there are any nodules or how firm it is, if it's tender, etc. cetera. Uh, because prostatitis, is, is, it's, a, it's hard to treat. And it's not always bacterial. Sometimes it's just inflammatory. But um, certainly I would say yes. I mean, you can, but you need to find out why your PSA is elevated and how, how fast it's elevated, how high it is. I tend to order a lot of free PSA percentages that give me a more of a, a clue as to your future risk of having prostate cancer. Um, so th that's my short answer. Uh, yeah, you, you can continue take them, taking them, but you know, if you have prostate cancer, then I would probably hold off on testosterone until you got that taken care of. <coughs> now treat, <clears throat> A lot of guys that have had prostate cancer and with testosterone after they get that cleared up. Um, a lot of people think you can't, but you can uh, very safely. But um, it really actually doesn't pour fuel on the fire like we used to think. So, you know, you need to get into a good workup on your PSA and a good discussion with a doctor that treats a lot of prostate. I try to corroborate a lot of my treatments with urologists that I like that do MRIs and, you know, are really up to date on hormone replacement. Um, you know, also check your estrogen levels. You know, estrogen's uh, not good for prostates uh, in general. So, and if you take testosterone, if it's aromatizing to estradiol, then you want to get that lowered. Um, but uh, great question. Wonderful question. I deal with that every day in my office. Uh, thank you for well, coming in. If you haven't seen me, come in and see me. Thank you for for that question. Uh, came on Instagram, uh, guys. We're gonna we're gonna go to the to the uh, to the live uh, questions here because I want to make sure we get to as many as possible. Um, uh, Emily, Amanda, I see you guys. Uh, Lori, what's up? We're gonna get to you. Uh, Brandon, what's up? Um, okay, we're gonna Terry. How, how's it going? Uh, Lisa, thank you guys for sharing. Uh, everyone who's sharing this broadcast, we really do appreciate it. That means the world to us. Uh, let's get to some of these live questions. I think D. Lynn was first. Um, oh, okay, so uh, D. Lynn asked about the, about the price list. Uh, they are in the comments uh, on YouTube as well as Facebook, uh, so refer to that. Thank you, Katie, for, uh, for doing that. Um, I'm pumped up about our new vitamins that we got in this week. I mean, that, of course, I did my podcast today on them. And I've gotten so many requests for them. I mean, they're loaded. They're great vitamins, and they're, you know, they don't have any fillers in them. They don't have any dextrose or anything in them. They're vegetarian uh, capsules, and they're they're loaded. I mean, they are absolutely loaded. I'm trying to get it to where you don't have to take so many, you know, 
different vitamins and fill your fishing tackle box up like I do and just maybe get by with a lot fewer vitamins, but more loaded with them. So I like it. We've got a good response and, uh, you know, hopefully more will be on the way. We'll see. Uh, I, I thought what, what I found funny is that you actually tried to blend all your vitamins one time and, and you, you tried to, to drink them. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. Awful taste. Terrible. Uh, guys, don't, no way to get don't do that at home. Um, Roel asks, doctor, my son had COVID last week and now is negative. His wife has it now a week later. Uh, they lived together. Should we isolate from him? That's a great question. I uh, hope everybody's feeling better. Roel, uh, doc, what, what's your, what's your advice on this? No, I wouldn't isolate from him. You know, if it's been over five days and he, he's not symptomatic from, <coughs> excuse me, from her, you may want to, uh, for right now. And just because he's been around her, uh, if he comes over to your house or something, I wouldn't worry, you know, with this new mutation, it's so contagious, but so mild in most cases that you certainly shouldn't fear it. And nothing is going to really keep you from uh, either being exposed with it or getting it. I mean, most people that get it don't even know they had it, but we are seeing a bump in uh, cases. You know, we've treated a lot in the last month, a lot, a lot of it. But in almost every case, knock on wood, it's been really mild. It's just not getting into your head, i.e. it's not causing sense of loss of smell or taste so much. And it doesn't seem to be getting in lungs as much. Um, but, uh, you know, keep your, keep aware that it's still around, but it's a lot less. And, and the fact that you've had it twice before doesn't mean really much unless you've had it very recently. Uh, that's just an example of how this thing's morphed. Um, and I don't want to get into a deep dive on it because I'm afraid I'll say some things that will get me pulled off of here. But uh, uh, anyway. let's, let's get to Terry's question. Uh, this will be a, an easy one. Uh, are the new super vitamins capsules or solid? Uh, they are capsules. Um, and to get that much in one vitamin, I didn't want a huge vitamin because I do not like to uh, swallow huge vitamins at one time. Have you ever been choked on a vitamin? I have. It is. It is no fun. <laughs> that is terrible. It I've is. Had it a few I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget, Dad. That I called you one night and I could feel one was stuck, and and you had me jump up and down, and. <laughs> So yeah. I was, it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was in my apartment and I was jumping up and down. Uh, but you assure me like it does eventually go down, but it is yeah. no fun. If you ever get one hung up, just you're, if you're still breathing normally and you haven't aspirated, just be calm because it will work its way down or dissolve. Um, but uh, yeah, it happened to me one time, it scared me to death. And I actually, I was freaking out. I actually went up. I, drove, I couldn't get anybody on the phone. I was home alone. And my dad, who was a physician, I actually drove to his house, beat on his door. <laughs> he was asleep and said, Dad, I'm choking. And uh, he just kind of watched me for a minute. I immediately just kind of, I think I threw up the vitamin. It was that 
close to my trachea, I guess, but it really was starting to compromise me a little bit. You know, no need for the Heimlich or anything. But anyway, that's not a pleasant feeling. So no. the whole point of this thing is <laughs> on my super vitamin capsules, the multi, um, I made them smaller in a capsule. And but to get the full dose, you need to take three of them. But they're they're smaller. If I put this amount of stuff in a multi, it'd be huge. So what I do, I just space them out with my meals. I mean, you can take three right at once. It wouldn't bother you, but definitely take it with food. Um, and But they're capsules, so I, I tend to like that a little better. That's a great that question. Uh, Sherry in our Kingsport office uh, tells us, or I, I, I'm sure this is Katie, uh, to, to drink hot water. That's a great that's a great yeah. tip. I, I, I think not- I told you to do that that night. Drink put some water in the microwave, warm water. And sometimes it relaxes your, you know, it'll go down and you can even stroke your throat and maybe help move it down a little bit. But just don't freak out. It will go down. Uh, it's not, not going to kill you. Not a good feeling. Uh, all right. Lori asks, uh, what is the medication besides spir- spir- spironolactone, um, which is a DHT blocker, finasteride, um, or, and another brand is Dutasteride. Um, and uh, remember, you can't get near that medicine if you're of childbearing age. Do not even consider that if you're a young woman that's a childbearing age, because uh, it's really uh, teratogenic uh, for babies. But um, the other one is Minoxidil, which, but I prefer it orally over topically. That's Rogaine topically. So, Minoxidil and finasteride if you're not of childbearing age and, um, of course, spironolactone. Sometimes I put people on all three of them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, hair loss is something on the back of everybody's mind. Nobody likes losing hair. It, it really know? is. So thank you for, for asking that question. It, it uh, it applies to so many, dif- uh, so many different people are, are thinking the same thing. So thank you guys for, uh, for putting that in there. Uh, and also Lori, thank you for asking a question with the word in there. I could not pronounce. I've done so well tonight. Uh, you have them. <laughs> you've been studying your medical dictionary, haven't you? Every, every day before, uh, before Tuesday. Um, okay. Mark has a question. Um, in July, LabCorp released two new thrombotic risk tests while 11, pro-thrombotic tests were updated. We are now experiencing shortage in heparin and order limits on Eliquis. And the question is, are we looking at a thrombus thrombosis outbreak? Do you think these events are COVID related? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that COVID is a blood clotting disease. That's how it killed people was uh, it clots your blood. And we saw those microemboli or major emboli in people's lungs. Uh, after that cytokine storm. But yeah, I sure hope we're not facing a, a shortage of Eliquis. Um, I know <clears throat> those new lab tests are very, they're very helpful, you know, looking at those risks. If your insurance will pay for them, uh, you know, there's a there's a panel that you can get um, that's could be pretty telling. You know, a lot of times we also check a D-dimer uh, test uh, for, former embolus. But yeah, I mean, that's a very important thing. Uh, And that's why I put a lot of people on Eliquis when 
you know, didn't put everybody on aspirin. Some people actually used Eliquis. Um, if their D-dimer was high, I did put them on Eliquis, a medicine we talked about before um, when they had COVID. So hmm. it is a blood clotting disease, there's no doubt about it. Great point. I hope we're not facing a choice, but we definitely could be. Uh, thank you for that question, Mark. Uh, I want to get to Lisa's question here. Um, Lisa asked, had a colorectomy, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's colorectomy. Years you got that wrong. No, cholecystectomy. Col that's a gallbladder removed. Cholecystectomy. Lisa, you gave me another Say one. that real fast. I know. Lisa messed you up. You're doing so good. Lisa, Say that real fast, as, as fast as you can. Cholecystectomy. Had cholecystectomy years ago. Had cholecystectomy years ago. Cystectomy. <laughs> you got to get that T in there. That means cut had cholecystectomy Perfect. years Perfect. ago, having episodes of sudden attacks of severe pain that starts under my right breast and works its way up my chest and sometimes to my throat. Having this frequently now, can I still be having gallbladder attacks? What tests should I have done to see if I have gallstones? Uh, thank you for this question, Lisa. Sorry about messing up the uh, pronunciation. Yeah, that's a good question. I see that occasionally. You know, uh, in talking with my dad and my brother, who are both general surgeons, most of their bulk of their work was with the gallbladder. So you can certainly, you could have a retained stone. You, you know, it's unusual to happen years later, but there is a test called an ERCP where they, the GI doc goes in and looks directly, visualizes um, that duct to see if there's anything blocking it. Now, assuming your, your liver function tests are normal and, and all, it could be something else. It makes you wonder if it's, you know, some kind of scar tissue irritating the diaphragm. If you, um, if you have sharp pains when you breathe, sometimes it's diaphragmatic. Um, so it could be an even number of things, you know, under your right rib cages where your gallbladder is located. Um, it could be spasms, um, you know, some, and it, I mean, you could be having GERD as well, reflux. Um, I don't know if anything would be causing it, but certainly your GI doctor can go in there and, and look with the scope. Um, and the special test is an ERCP where they go down further and look. But that'd be the test I would think you should have. You know, hopefully you're taking a good, uh, a good probiotic digestive enzyme type medication. Anybody that's had a, a gallbladder out uh, needs digestive enzymes because you don't store the bile that can, that emulsifies the fat. So I recommend um, digestive enzymes. And a lot of times if you go get a prescription for those, it'll cost you hundreds of dollars. But just try digest, you know, digest shield. Has them in it along with all the right blends of pre and probiotics and lactose and gluten blockers. It's a wonderful product. So you may try that. Um, if it's GERD, you can get a Pepsid complete and see if that immediately takes care of it. Then it's reflux. But um, it certainly, if nothing else is working, it certainly deserves a workup because even though your gallbladder is not there, you could still, you still have that bile duct. So um, it's a great question. I see that occasionally. Uh, thank you for that question, Lisa. Um, I want to get to, let's see here, Barbara's question. 
Um, how do I keep collagen from causing diarrhea? I do take it after a meal. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, Doc? Um, hmm. Maybe you're taking too much of it. Um, I don't know if you have a gallbladder. If you, if you have diarrhea after meals, you may not have enough digestive enzymes like people with their gallbladder missing do. So you might try um, holding off on the collagen for right now, balancing your gut microbiome with something like Digest Shield with some digestive enzymes, and then adding back a little bit of it. You may even try a different brand. Um, you know, I, I tend to prefer the keto collagen, but there's other collagen brands out there, but, um, it may be, you just don't tolerate that form of collagen. I don't know if your collagen is coming from, you know, beef or not, but there's different forms. So try to stop it for a while, make sure your gut's straightened out. And then, uh, and of course try to avoid dairy and glutens and, things that could cause that. Uh, so I'd say balance your gut microbiome and then try adding a different type in there or even using the one you have and see if it still causes it. Um, All right, Barbara, thank you for that question. Uh, I want to make sure we get, uh, let's get Terry's question in here. Uh, it seems like every week I hear of another friend with pancreatic cancer. So awful. Is, it, is that really on the rise like it seems? Do you have any guess as to why more people are getting that in reference to uh, pancreatic cancer? That's a tough, yeah. It seems like there's the incidence is going up some and it's, it's, it's bad. Um, but I don't know why, you know, there's a lot of guesses as to why, but I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with your immune system. I was listening to a really deep dive with, uh, last night on one of Dr. Atelia's podcast and, um, the guy he had on there with him was one of these brainiacs, PhD types, uh, who was actually talking about your immune system and cancer. And it's, it's about two and a half hour lecture that um, was really pretty telling. You know, the, uh, he emphasized how you should cut out the what we call PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and and actually go more towards the uh, saturated uh, fats that we used to demonize. But um, as you know, foods are immunomodulators. So everything you eat uh, affects your immune system. Most of your immune system is located in your gut. So we have a lot more worse diets. We have worse stress. Um, you know, people are medicating with alcohol. Um, uh, but that's my guess is it's, it's more environmental um, than anything. There doesn't seem to be too much of a genetic risk uh, for pancreatic cancer or some of the other types of cancer, but um, it's certainly a bad type of cancer to get. Um, but there's been a few people that have done pretty well with it if they catch it early. Uh, but, the, you know, there's no great test for it. Um, but uh, certainly, if you're having a lot of problems with gut pain, weight loss, and feeling terrible, then a lot of times we'll order a CT scan of your upper abdomen. But uh, yeah, I think there's more of it. Why? Probably our worst lifestyles, stress. 
Uh, thank you for that question, uh, Terry. Um, I want to say, and, and Kathy, Katie, Katie or uh, Stephanie, one of the team, uh, might be able to help with this better than me, uh, but let's see if Doc knows. If someone, I'm sure you know, if someone has been put on Ozempic by you and will take their last shot this week, will you write a prescription for more? What's the... Sure, okay. sure will. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes we get a few samples in there and we'll provide you a sample. They're, they're hard to get now for some reason, but uh, our reps have been so good. Um, but uh, yes, certainly. The point is to see how it works on if you tolerate it, which most people do. Sometimes a little nausea at first. Sometimes some people just can't tolerate the nausea, but it's rare. It's it better. But um, sure, because you're going to be on it for a little longer until we reach the goal that you want to achieve. Um, but yeah, go back and listen to one of my podcasts about yeah. uh, uh, the, uh, the nurse that lost 130 pounds yep. with Ozempic and better, you know, better diet, etc. But most people that are overweight, if you're talking about using it for that use rather than diabetes, um, you know, it's a metabolic disease that needs to be treated. You, you can't just tell somebody to eat less and uh, exercise more. That doesn't work. It's a metabolic disease. It's usually a lifelong disease at, at, at some stage. So um, you treat it just like any other lifelong chronic disease. Um, it's a metabolism problem, usually of insulin resistance, but. A great question, uh, Kathy. Thank you for that. Barbara's uh, asking about vitamin C. I wanted to grab this uh, just because I know you're a huge believer. Um, what's your... Yeah, yeah. yeah, we certainly use a lot of vitamin C infusions, um, sometimes very high doses if we're using it for that reason. Now, we can't go around claiming this cures cancer. But if you look at a lot of the, the research, especially out of the University of uh, Kansas, it's, it's very helpful. So... Um, you know, I, I would, and if you consider getting the vitamin C treatments, do a simple blood test called a glucose G6PD test. There's a, a rare genetic mutation that you couldn't do. That's one in a million. So, but I always try to get that if I'm going to give higher doses of vitamin C, not if I'm just doing a Myers cocktail with eight to 10 grams of vitamin C. But when we do it for the other reasons, sometimes we'll work our way up to 100,000 grams uh it, so it's really high dose um we work where it's slowly because you can get diarrhea with real high doses of it um but uh anyway it's really interesting uh, because it's 100 percent absorbed yep. when you take an oral vitamin c about 20 percent of it gets into your cell when you do it iv 100 percent of it gets there so what i recommend really for most people is get your traditional treatment first. Like if you have breast cancer, you need, you know, you need it taken out, you know, uh, by mastectomy, lumpectomy, whatever, get rid of the tumor. And then if you just don't want to take chemo or they don't think it's necessary for your particular type of cancer or any other treatment for it, radiation, whatever, and you just want to do something different, that's an option. But, you know, we don't like to go against what your oncologist is doing. Some, I've had oncologists send patients over for some vitamin C IV. That's rare because most of them don't know a lot about it. But, um, you know, uh, you have to know what you're doing when you do these infusions. But uh, have to go slow. But uh, it is um, 
an adjuvant therapy uh, as well. But so I, I kind of like to blend the traditional with the stuff that, um, you know, is a little bit more uh, alternative. So good question, though. I like having you on the sea for uh, a lot you. of reasons. Thank you for that, Barbara. Let's get Roel's question real quick, and then we will call it an evening. Um, doctor, my eight-year-old daughter will be starting school later this month. Do we give her the same vitamin protocol? I'm assuming this has to do with uh, a member of the family having COVID, I think, uh, Roel. Um, what's your thoughts? Yeah, if, she has, if she has COVID, um, you, don't, you don't need to use as high doses um, of some of those things. You know, you, you, you can certainly... The only thing I probably wouldn't do is you don't need to give 50,000 a D every day for five days. Um, but I would certainly use about 10,000 for five days. It's not going to hurt her. Um, I would use a gram of C twice a day. I would use um, about 30 milligrams of zinc. I'd, I'd use a pepsid. I use just a very small dose of melatonin. Um, and I'd probably use... Uh, you know, half a dose of uh, some Zyrtec or Claritin. Uh, but, you know, kids do really well with with it, you know. Um, uh, Roel, thank you for... She, she'll do fine. She'll do fine. Thank you for that question, Roel. Guys, we're... We're going to call it an evening. Uh, man, this has been a performance medicine show. My goodness. The questions were phenomenal. Doc, your answers were great. Uh, to the people out there who, who are with us live, thank you so much. Uh, to our team, I see you know Katie's in the comments. Thank you guys so much for doing that, uh, for, for uh, being there and uh, answering questions. Uh, Jenny, behind the scenes, thank you so much. Uh, to everyone uh, from our offices, I know that Rachel's here. I know Stephanie's here. Uh, thank you guys for for hanging out with us. Uh, gosh, all the great questions. Thank you guys for you know uh, putting in these questions because it's not just you that have those questions. Um, so we really do appreciate it. that. Means a ton. Um, Motaz, I see you're here. Uh, thanks for hanging out, man. Uh, Doc, this has been a blast. Thank you, Ben. It's been fun. Thank you, guys. We are going to call it a show. Uh, as I said before, this has been the Performance Medicine Show. We do this every single Tuesday night uh, at 7 p.m. We'll see you guys next time. Steve, I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Grandma Mary, I love you. Great to see you. <laughs> Appreciate you guys. Don't go away. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.